You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science alone. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer. And Dr. Andrea Love. And this week is the second episode in a two-part series on naturopathy, a very controversial topic. (laughs) Um, And we have so much to say that we had to do two episodes on it, and honestly, we could fill many more. But if you haven't already listened to last week's episode, definitely go back and check it out. We set the stage. We talk about what naturopathy is, what it isn't. We talk about the trade training that people in naturopathy receive and don't receive. And we had a really amazing special guest, Britt Hermes, who was formerly a naturopathic doctor and has quite a bit to say about the profession. So without further ado, let's dig into this week's topics. So this week, we're really going to focus on the actual, you know, the the potential harms of naturopathy and seeking naturopathic treatment, especially in lieu of actual credible medicine. And um, as we dig into this episode, you'll see why I feel confident making such a bold statement. First, let's turn to the Department of Health and Human Services for a glimpse at the national take on naturopathy. So for starters, Medicare does not reimburse for naturopathy treatments, and we're using air quotes around treatments, um, and more on that in just a second. But basically, in 1968, the department conducted an investigation after naturopaths requested Medicare reimbursement, and they concluded, quote, naturopathic theory and practice are not based on the body of basic knowledge related to health, disease, and health care that has been widely accepted by the scientific community. Moreover, irrespective of its theory, the scope and quality of naturopathic education do not prepare the practitioner to make an adequate diagnosis and provide appropriate treatment. So I love this piece of information, Jess, because, again, this was the statement from what was formerly called the Health Education and Welfare Department, which is now Health and Human Services. And this was in 1968. Since then, naturopathic organizations have made motions to get treatment included as part of Medicare coverage, and this has still held for decades. And also, we know that in addition to the Department of Health and Human Services, many accredited medical institutions um, and and these national associations, medical and scientific associations, have denounced naturopathy. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is because many naturopathic practices, they do not follow evidence-based practice. And I know we're going to dig into this, but they're, you know, they're actually often quite dangerous and they promote things that just don't, we don't have data on their safety, on their efficacy, things that we've talked about in the past, including homeopathy. I know you have a lot to say. So (laughs) why don't you, do you want to sort of um, dig in? 
Okay. Yeah, so the American Academy of Family Physicians, which is the AAFP, it is one of the largest medical organizations in the United States with over 136,000 members across all states and territories. It also has international members. The AAFP was instrumental in establishing family medicine as medicine's 20th primary specialty. So AAFP made a formal statement that says the AAFP believes that naturopathic theory and practice are not based upon knowledge widely accepted by the scientific community. Naturopathic education does not prepare practitioners to properly and accurately diagnose or provide appropriate treatment, safely or effectively prescribe medications, perform physicals for school or employment, or perform surgical procedures. The AAFP opposes the expansion of naturopaths' scope of practice in states that provide licensing for naturopaths. In states that do permit licensure of naturopaths, the Academy opposes any expansion of their scope of practice that is not supported by naturopathic education and training. A naturopath must not be allowed under any circumstances to use the title physician, nor should a naturopath be considered a primary care physician. Now, this actually came out um, as a result of recent legislative motions from various naturopathic organizations because licensure and scope of practice by naturopaths varies from state to state. So nine states, Arizona, Hawaii, Idaho, Massachusetts, Montana, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, and Vermont actually legally allow naturopaths to use the term physician which is a little bit alarming. Now, this term, the use of the term physician by naturopaths is actually prohibited in seven states, Alaska, California, Colorado, Kansas, Maryland, Maine, and North Dakota, as well as District of Columbia. The other states, there's no guidelines, there's no legal criteria. So licensure and regulations, as well as the ability and scope of practice, is not regulated on a national or certainly international basis. And this is a major problem because not only do you have lack of normalization and standardization of scope of practice, most people, most people in the general public, I should say, if someone calls themselves a doctor, they don't know if it's a physician, a true medical practitioner, which would be an MD or a DO. So in the U.S., doctors of osteopathy have the same sort of training, take the same boards, do the same residencies as MDs. Someone who has an ND, so that's N as in Nancy, would be someone that's a naturopath. So they call themselves a naturopathic doctor. Or sometimes you'll see N as in Nancy M as in Mark D, and MD, that would be a naturopathic medicine doctor. So again, these are naturopaths. They call themselves doctors. They call themselves primary care physicians or primary care practitioners, but their training is not nearly robust enough to actually be considered that. Now, it's also important to understand that residencies really don't happen with naturopaths. So there are naturopathy schools across the country and across the world. The scope of training is less than half of what you're getting in medical schools. The breadth of education is not, uh, and we're, we're going to get into that with some specifics in a minute, but they're optional before they're allowed to practice. Whereas physicians have mandatory residencies regardless of their specialty before they can practice medicine. As someone who's 
married to an MD, I'm like chomping at the bit right now to say, you know, there is so, so much training that medical doctors and and doctors of osteopathy go through. And, uh, you know, medical school itself is four years. Then they're required to do a residency that is typically between like three to six years, depending on the, the specialty, subspecialty that you're going into. And then many MDs and DOs actually go on to do fellowships. So there are years and years of generalized and very specific training. And this is just a completely different scenario for NDs. And that's why there's real frustration because the layperson just does not understand the difference. And if you have someone who's calling themselves a doctor who is an, M- an ND, I like you said N is in Nancy, you know, <laughs> as opposed to an MD or DO, that gets very, very confusing and can actually be, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for, but uh, misleading with yes. regard to, to, to training. Another major issue is that medical physicians, you know, there are standardized boards, there are standardized entrance exams, there are standardized continuing education criteria they have to um, do. And that's, that's national, right? And that's something that has to be done in order to keep up your licensure. Whereas naturopaths, it's state to state, naturopaths don't need to do a residency. They can actually practice independently as primary care providers in 20 states. And in some states, they can actually get a DEA number and prescribe medications. And so this is quite alarming considering that their education, and and I know Britt um, talked a lot about this, their education, their training, their expertise is not on par for what, you know, you would see in actual evidence-based clinical practices. And there is a huge push from the side of naturopaths to actually expand licensure and, and expand their scope of practice to include additional procedures, surgeries in some instances, and more. So as we talked about in that first episode, you know, we do understand why people seek out NDs when they feel that the medical system, the healthcare system has failed them, the variety of, of reasons that we enumerated in episode episode one. But again, you know, we're, we're just saying that it's very difficult to equate the training that an ND receives to one that an actual medical doctor and, and, and physician receives. So that that's really something that we're trying to articulate here. So Andrea, I think we need to address the anti-vax sentiment and rhetoric that is you know, if there's a Venn diagram, unfortunately, you know, between naturopathy and anti-vax sentiment, there's, I'm not saying that everyone who's a naturopath is anti-vaccine, but there's quite a bit in that middle part, that that overlapping uh, section of the Venn diagram. And so actually the, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians on their website, they don't outright state that they are opposed to vaccination, but they use language that we associate with anti-vax sentiment. Things like informed consent and do your own research, more research, parental choice. And these are common phrases. We've heard them how many times, Andrea? And they're used to undermine the decades and decades and decades of data that we have available to support the use of routine vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we'll, we'll talk about COVID-19 in particular, but you know, all of this amidst a global pandemic, and then we're dealing with with polio and monkeypox and all these other things, it's, you know, it's just it, to say it, it, this is truly, you know, life and death. So I want to start with the curriculum that's included with regard to educating.
education, naturopathy education, and then I want to talk a little bit about like what we see in clinical practice. So the textbook of natural medicine, which is modern naturopathy, you know, if you listen last episode, naturopathy was coined in the 1800s, but modern naturopathy's textbook, our most authoritative textbook, was initially published in 85, and it was revised in 1999, 2006, and 2011. The first edition of that had a complete anti-vaccination chapter, which was called Vaccinations and Immune Malfunction. And the, the author, a naturopath, claimed vaccination harmed the immune system, led to things like allergies, sudden infant death syndrome, and AIDS. And obviously, we've debunked all of this. Many other experts have debunked all of this. If you fast forward to the third edition, it doesn't mention vaccination at all in, in a textbook. And this is a over 2,000-page textbook that's used in, in naturopathic education. All four editions of those textbooks were co-edited by a naturopath named Joseph Pizzorno, and he actually served as president of Bastyr College, which is a naturopathic university in Washington state. And he wrote a book, a separate book, and he had a three-page attack on vaccination that vaccines create immune dysfunction and, and that we're hiding all of the risks associated with vaccines, basically. They also, he and, and another co-editor produced three editions of a different book called the Encyclopedia of Natural Medicine. And this came out in 1990, 1998, and 2012. And again, these all undermine the fundamental education of naturopaths to a point where they're discrediting vaccination from the get-go. And there have been many studies done, surveys conducted um, that poll modern folks who are in naturopathy now. And how do they feel about immunization and how it impacts their patients. So there was one, more than 500 students at a naturopathic school in Canada were surveyed about their attitudes towards childhood vaccinations. Of those who responded, less than 13% were willing to advise full vaccination, 75% would advise only partial vaccination, and about 13% would not advise vaccination at all. Another study, it was actually an analysis of insurance claim data that included over 11,000 children in Washington State, where uh, Bastyr University is located, the one that Andrea just mentioned, observed that children age one to two years who had ever seen a naturopathic physician were significantly less likely to have received vaccinations for the common vaccine-preventable childhood diseases and were even less likely if they received exclusive care from a naturopath. I, you know, I know the statistics, but every time I hear them again, I mean, it's just, even if this was the only danger of naturopathic treatment, it should be enough, right? It should be enough for people to steer clear. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
and you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And you're right. There are so many statistics, and we'll share these to our to our show notes. Um, but really, large studies using you know hundreds of thousands of participants. Really, it's the same thing over and over again. The likelihood of being vaccinated, if you see a naturopath, um, especially if you see one exclusively, um, it's just so significantly reduced. And actually, Andrea, I, I think you wanted to share that some naturopathic practices actually offer an alternative. Oh, and actually this cropped up during the COVID pandemic. Um, Who was it? It was a baseball player, a football player or somebody. And that was what, um, that was what spurred our original post on homeopathy. But, but anyway, um, it'll come to me later (laughs) or maybe you can find (laughs) out. But um, many naturopathic practitioners offer nosodes, which is their version of a vaccination, which is nothing. If you remember from our homeopathy episode and all of our homeopathy content, basically homeopathic remedies are just something that is diluted to the point of not actually having anything in it anymore. So people are getting treated treated with these these things called nosodes, which are not vaccinations and are not protecting you against infectious diseases. And and people are going to these naturopaths and foregoing actual immunizations in favor of this. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And I think this really nicely illustrates, you know, you can't say, oh, it's it's harmless to do these things. No, to get a no-sode in place of a vaccination. No, you're not getting any protection, none whatsoever. And you have a false sense of protection. That is harmful. All right. So there there was another survey that I think we wanted to mention that was conducted in 2020. Uh, It was conducted across 14 countries, and they found that 27% of clients who saw a naturopath received acupuncture, 22% homeopathy, and 16% other energetic medicines. That's in quotation marks. I I really don't fully understand what that means. I'm guessing those are things like ultraviolet therapy or Reiki Reiki. or things like that. Right. Which do not have evidence to support them. And 13.5% were given hydrotherapy. One third of patients consulted with only one naturopath to manage their primary health concern. This is huge. I mean, Andrea, I know you, you you wanted to talk about this, but it's it's really terrifying that people would see one person who does not have any formal medical training and that this person would be responsible for their primary health care and that they could you know, potentially forego actual evidence-based data-driven medical interventions and diagnoses. Yeah. And, and a lot of these treatments that are prescribed are actually some that we've talked about in the context of, of other false medical issues like adrenal fatigue and, and chronic Lyme disease. And they include things like homeopathy, like unproven herbal remedies, like enemas, like ozone therapy, like chelation therapy, like iridology, and more. And again, there is no evidence, there's no science to support the use of any of these in diagnosis or treatment of medical issues. And Andrea, you know, you and I would never say that 
you know, medications and, and pharmaceuticals in and of themselves, that that's enough to manage our health, right? We would never argue that healthy diets uh, and lifestyle matters and, and, and stress management and all of these other things, they are so important. And unfortunately, they are often overlooked by MDs and DOs for a variety of reasons that, you know, we, we talked about briefly on the last episode. But that doesn't mean that they're not necessary. <laughs> you know, in, in certain instances, they are absolutely warranted. Medical treatments and intervention is warranted in many situations, not all. And so I just want to be clear about that. I think that that's the appeal for a lot of people to naturopathy, that there seems like, you know, you have that interpersonal connection with a quote unquote provider, you know, and, the, and there's an emphasis on the psychosocial and, and lifestyle. And that is important. And I do think that our medical system and establishment has a lot of work, you know, on that front. Definitely. Definitely. But, you know, I think obviously we've talked a lot about preventative health care and vaccination is a critical component of preventative health care. And the fact that the naturopathic industry at large does not support vaccination, routine vaccination um, is extremely problematic. And, you know, we saw that even during the COVID-19 pandemic. So the AANP, which is the leading organization, it stands for the, I want to say, American Association of Naturopathic Practitioners. And um, they had a press release about the COVID response. They were um, lobbying to get more resources to naturopaths, to get more funding, federal funding and things like that. But in their press release, which was titled Response to COVID-19 Vaccination, they talked again about, you know, that fuzzy language about, oh, we need more research, informed consent, choice, blah, blah, blah. And then instead they promoted things like vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, elderberry as effective treatments for improved outcomes for COVID-19. And again, I have that in air quotes because we heard that throughout the pandemic. We've debunked it all. There's no evidence that any of those things actually improved outcomes when someone was sick and they didn't prevent someone from getting sick. I mean, that's absolutely terrifying. And I know that you could talk about that for... (laughs) for a very long time, but I think we should go on to cancer, which obviously impacts- Wait, wait, before we oh. do, I have oh. one more thing. Oh, um, okay. There was a naturopath, and there probably are more, but um, but they actually were caught selling fake vaccine cards during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, they were- I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so again, major issues, but yes, let's move on to another, another danger or risk associated with naturopathy. So- So cancer, um, this statistic really (laughs) took my breath away. Uh, Almost 40% of Americans believe that cancer can be cured through alternative therapies alone. Uh, This is according to a survey conducted by the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Again, you know, if if you're someone who, you know, heaven forbid, has been touched by cancer, we understand that, you know, I remember dealing with this with my father when he had bladder cancer. It's, you're so desperate, you know, you want to see your loved one have a longer life and quality of life. And so if treatments are not working, you, sometimes you seek out these alternative therapies. It's important that people realize that those alternative therapies alone are absolutely not enough to, to manage a cancer diagnosis. The evidence shows that people who use alternative therapies in place of standard cancer treatments have a significantly higher death rate. And that, that, that's not surprising. Yeah. And so if you guys listen to our two part on, on the basics of cancer, you know, you'll remember that Jess and I talked about, you know, cancer progression, development, the interplay with the immune system is 
so complex. And cancer is a catch-all term for hundreds of different diseases. But naturopathy teaches that cancer is the result of in quotes, immune system failure. So they oversimplify it and they tout the use of natural supplements over preventative health screenings and over evidence-based treatments for cancer. And so, you know, if you heard us talk about this, the ways to target cancer are multifactorial and multifaceted and very complex because cancers are in themselves very complex. But the biggest issue with naturopathy in the context of cancer is that people who seek these naturopathic treatments forego evidence-based treatments. And these treatments could include things like herbs, uh, herbs and vitamins, mineral supplements, meditation, tai chi, yoga, bee venom therapy, and also extreme dieting. And these are all things that are dieting and detoxes. There is data that suggests up to 90% of cancer patients report trying alternative treatments, either solely or in combination with conventional treatments. A study in JAMA Oncology from clinical oncology researchers at Yale published that patients who chose to use complementary medicines during cancer treatment were also more likely to refuse conventional treatments during their their cancer, even if their doctors recommended them, of course. And use of complementary medicine was associated with a two-fold greater risk of death. This is This is very, very alarming for sure. And um, it might not be terribly surprising that those most likely to use complementary treatments were female, younger, affluent, um, moderately educated, and also had private insurance. So, you know, they've got, again, insurance typically doesn't cover naturopathy depending on what state you're in. Um, So a lot of people are paying out of pocket for these non-evidence-based treatments. And they're often in kind of this young generation that, you know, gets a lot of information on social media, perhaps. Maybe they're dialed into these like eat healthy, you know, anti-GMO, pro-organic, you know, there's a lot of convergence with these sorts of mentalities. And that often falls within the, the scope of naturopathy. So I know we don't have a lot more time here, but I just want to address something that we hear all too often, which is, you know, what's the harm in, in trying naturopathy? And the problem is that it can be harmful and it can also interfere with conventional treatments. So things like supplements, whether they be you know, vitamins or herbal, they can actually interfere with prescription medications in large doses. And, and some naturopaths give really huge doses via IV, can actually raise your risk of things like cancer. Spinal adjustments, that you know, that, that's a part of, um, of naturopathy. They do manipulative treatments. Where, where they apply pressure to the spine, these can this can damage arteries, nerves, bones, spinal discs, and it can actually lead to stroke in, in rare cases. And if you want to hear more on that, go to our chiropractic episode, because again, there's some convergence there. Absolutely. And, and this, you know, this idea of detox diets, we've talked about this ad nauseum. That's not a thing, um, you know, but but they, they recommend cutting out certain foods or fasting, going for periods without eating. This, of course, can be very dangerous, especially for some folks with chronic conditions like diabetes. Um, and you can also not get enough vital nutrients. You, yeah. you could become malnourished. Yeah. And that's, a huge risk 
in general for people who have cancer, but it certainly can be a risk for anyone who has been prescribed a, a detox diet or a fast or something like that by a naturopath. So Andrea, another thing that is often touted by NDs, and as a Nancy, NDs, <laughs> um, uh, is that they, they provide dietary advice based on blood type. And I know this is something that we really want to dig into, but there has been extensive research on this. There was a, a large review conducted in 2013 in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that concluded that there's no scientific evidence to back the approach of tailoring diets based on blood type. So again, just another example of things that, that really have no scientific basis. I also wanted to highlight this one case. Um, the FDA reported last year that a 30-year-old woman died after receiving an IV intravenous infusion of, how do you pronounce this, Cur curcumin? Cur Is that so uh, yes. Curcumin? Yeah, curcumin. We, yeah. All I know is that it's an ingredient in the spice turmeric. And a lot of people, you know, they consume turmeric because it has these anti-inflammatory properties. However, that does not mean that you give an intravenous infusion, especially at the concentration at which it was given. And this was given to the patient, again, air quotes, to treat eczema, which is a relatively benign skin condition that is pretty easily treated with steroids in most cases. And according to the FDA, medical authorities concluded that this particular ingredient, I hope I'm not mispronouncing it, curcumin, was actually deemed ineffective by a comprehensive 2017 scientific review and that that ingredient is what caused her death. So we're not talking about things that come without any harm. And that's, I think, what we're trying to really convey here. We understand it in situations of, of desperation, exasperation, and frustration with the medical system that you might be seeking out alternatives. But this, first of all, the majority of things that are touted and recommended have absolutely no basis. They can actually be harmful. And you could be foregoing necessary medical intervention. We are not drug pushers. We don't think that, you know, medication is necessary for absolutely everything, but it is necessary in many cases. And I think that's where my frustration lies. This vilification of traditional medicine just simply, you know, due to pharmaceuticals. And as we said on the last episode, this is an industry too. It would be one thing if they were following some sort of scientific evidence or scientific method, but they're actively ignoring data, comprehensive bodies of data to continue to push and prescribe and treat people who are looking for help. Um, with things that are ineffective or potentially harmful. Beautifully said, Andrea. I know we have a lot more to say about this. We will be pushing out some more content <laughs> yes. um, via infographics on our social media. And if you want more unbiased science, please check out our Substack subscription. The subscription will grant you access to our private Facebook group, monthly live Q&As. You'll have a direct line to Jess and myself, and you will also be able to vote on future podcast topics. Check it out at theunbiasedscipod.sub stack.com. Next episode, we are going to do a pulse check on the state of several infectious disease outbreaks here and abroad. And that might be pretty appropriate since we just talked about how naturopaths are anti-vaccine. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19 and many other topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah. Oh, I am a scientist. Yeah.
Zeit.